seem a bit quiet to you? This is our slow time. Mornings? Well... Monday? Kind of. Spring? The 80s. Welcome to the show, Moonlighting fans. Whether you're a Moonlighting fan from way back when, or whether you are new to Moonlighting and you want to learn more about it because you want to know what all the hype is about, you have come to the right place. Hi, I'm Grace. And I'm Shauna. And we're your hosts for the podcast that is all about Moonlighting. When we talk about Moonlighting, we're talking about the Emmy award-winning 80s TV series starring Bruce Willis and Sipple Shepard. So if you're a fan of theirs, you're going to want to stay tuned as we review all 66 episodes. I hope you enjoy this journey with us because we are going to be watching the series episodes one by one and discussing them every two weeks. This is going to take several years, as you can imagine. So please join us because we are going to have so much fun along the way. That's right. And we really want to include our Moonlighting fans in this project as much as possible. So write to us and let us know what your thoughts are. And even if you have some trivia to disclose, our email address is fans at moonlightingthepodcast.com. And we will include you in our future episodes. So stay with us. Shauna and I are beyond excited to finally bring Moonlighting into the 21st century for some serious discussions. You up for it, Shauna? I sure am. Well, let's Let's get get started. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to, uh, Grace and I were just talking about it, uh, I guess it's podcast three, since we had a two-parter for the pilot. This is Moonlighting the Podcast, and today we are talking about gunfight at the So-So Corral. To give the listeners a little bit of info about the episode, it's Maddie's first day at the office, but as soon as she arrives, she realizes there's not much happening and not much for her to do. So she confronts David as to why there are no clients, and the phones aren't ringing. So in desperation, David runs across the road to a rival detective agency and steals a client and brings him back to Blue Moon. Now, this man wants to find his estranged son, but the plot thickens when Maddie and David realise that everything is not what it seems. As you said last time on the podcast that... um, Moonlighting is full of references, and this is one of them. So the episode is called Gunfight at the So-So Corral, which is a reference to the movie Gunfight at the OK Corral. This movie was made in 1957, and it starred Burt Lancaster and Kirk Douglas. So I just thought I'd mention that because the movie is about Wyatt Earp and an outlaw Doc Holliday, which David mentions later. Yeah, right. I uh, looked into that a little bit as well. Yeah. Glenn loves play on words. Yes. And many of the Moonlighting titles are a play on words from other uh, movie titles. I'm sure you've noticed. Yes, I have. Yes. I'm looking forward to actually going into that as well. (laughs) Yeah. Looking into that a little bit more. It's something I haven't really um, looked into much in the past. So it's a whole new level of Moonlighting, right? It sure is. The plot of, of the movie, um, Gunfight at the OK Corral, that you yes. were talking about, is an unlikely alliance is formed between a lawman and an outlaw. So I was wondering if Glenn had in mind that maybe Maddie and David were an unlikely alliance, a model and a maybe bartender turned detective. That's a good pickup as well. 
Yes, I did see yeah. that today because I was when I was doing some research about the OK Corral, I wanted to find out what year it was made. And then it, I found out that it was yeah. about Lancaster and Kirk Douglas. Yes, and I know what you mean, the unlikely alliance between those two characters because you've got the lawman who's Wyatt Earp and you've got the outlaw, which is Doc Holliday. Right. Between David and Maddie, she's the, the model and he's the detective. So it's a, it's yeah. a really good pickup, actually. Yeah, yeah, it just kind of struck me when I was reading the, the plot. And, you know, I tried to get into Glenn's mind a little bit, right, because I think he was so genius. I think there's uh, there's a lot of layers to moonlighting that we probably haven't even touched or picked up on, you know, no. because there's just so much there. That's and right. The more you rewatch, the more you see that. Yes, I find that every time I watch it, I pick up something else. I watched the episode again today just to refresh for our talk tonight. And I'm watching it and I'm thinking, oh, I've never picked up that he said that before. You know, there's so many things that you've never noticed before. So I thought I'd start watching the background a little bit too and the extras in the background and see what they were doing. And, yes, Yes. you know, you pick up a lot of different things as as each time you watch it. So it's quite interesting. Yeah, I I totally agree every time. And now that we're doing this podcast, watching just a little bit more closely, yeah, what are the Wobblies doing back there, you know? Um, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) who are the people in the background? What's uh, Yeah, Yeah, that's right. (laughs) There's definitely more going on than um, meets the eye. This episode first aired on the 5th of March, 1985. It was directed by Peter Werner. It was written by Michael Petrini. I'm not sure. I think that's how you say it. And the guest stars are a very young Tim Robbins, Pat Pawley, Gary Graham, Tony Burton, John Sinclair and Kim North. So Pat Corley is Franklin Tate and Farley Wright. Um, Gary Graham is Michael Wright. Tony Burton is the bartender. John Sinclair is the maitre d'. And Kim North is the receptionist at the other agency. Now, what I wanted to do first was I wanted to go through each little snippet of the intro because this is the first time we see the the moonlighting introduction and the the song and all the little snippets that go with it. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. So yeah, that's a good idea. So the first introduction to the credits is that beautiful LA sunset, right? That's self-explanatory. Then you've got a silhouette people in the sunset. Then you've got the LA freeway with the lights of the cars. Yeah. Then you've got a wrong way. Do not enter severe tire damage. Okay. So I'm assuming that's a basement car park where you can't go in. Yeah, probably um, knowing Glenn, that was probably a parking garage, right? Yep, yep. <laughs> knowing Glenn, absolutely. Um, the next <laughs> picture is Century Plaza, the two towers. Okay. Um, then you've got a sign, open till midnight. Then you've got the guys at the newsstand. Then you've got right. um, LA police cars, a guy flipping a pizza in the pizza shop. Yeah. Uh, people walking down the street shopping. A guy, this is great, a guy watching TV through a window. Um, uh-huh. Then you've got Volkswagen and motorbikes on Sunset Boulevard. And then it comes up with Moonlighting. Then okay. you've got Maddie in the pilot scene, the one where she's sitting with Mrs. Kaplan. Mercedes yeah. cars in a row in a, I'm assuming it's a hotel or a showroom or something. Yeah. Uh, Maddie and David hugging from the bar scene. Right. Bellboy at a hotel, young people silhouette in front of a fountain, 
a white limousine. Sybil Shepherd's name comes up with her in, you know, photo of her with a fur coat. And that fur coat is um, images from this episode, I believe. Yes, that's when she has to go to that restaurant with Farley. Yep. Um, Bruce from the pilot. Oh, then you've got a girl on a ladder putting up lettering on the facade of a theatre. Then you've got one guy walking while another has got his back to the wall reading a book. Bruce holding up a golf club from, you know, the Simon's, we'll call it the Simon scene. Then you've got this blonde, right? Now, I don't know. I do know that. Yeah, I was going to ask you, this blonde with red rim glasses and rather large breasts. So can you explain what this character is? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I do know that. Okay, this is a famous character in Los Angeles. Her name is Angeline. And she's still, I actually saw her in her pink car. She drives around a bright pink car in Los Angeles. I, I believe it's a Corvette. Uh, she's kind of this famous LA icon um, staple. I don't know how you would describe people from LA know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm. And she's quite obviously like quite a bit older these days, but still around. Um, yeah. My sister and I saw her quite a few times. Well, I saw her at least once. My sister saw her more than that. i um, driving around, you know, if you see her car, then you see the blonde hair and you can't really miss it. You know, you know, it's Angeline. Um, yeah. Just um she must have been kind of a staple of LA back in the day and they stuck her in the um, opening credits there. So yeah, that, that one I can answer. Oh, that's terrific. Cause I've always wanted to know who that person was, whether it was a character or a real person or um, then you've got the Hong Kong Chinese restaurant. Yeah. Bruce Willis's name comes up photo from the pilot. And then it looks like a bakery or a tram restaurant, you know, you know, like you call them diners. Yeah, right. Um, then you've got the people in the phone boxes and then yep. you've got Elise Beasley comes up with a picture from the pilot. Um, then you've got the guy who's watering the streets in front of an interior design shop. Okay. And the sign says San Pedro. So I'm assuming that's a street in LA. Yes, must be. Yeah, I had to zoom in to find that. Probably downtown, I'd say. (laughs) And then Maddie and David, the classic photo from the pilot where she's on the couch and he's sitting on the ground. And then you've got Glenn Gordon, Karen's name comes up with the street scene and the Union Bank in the background. Yeah. And I believe that is Wilshire Boulevard, which I think was the address on that um, Shepherd, Shepherd, Levine. And, (laughs) you know, um, I think they had (laughs) Wilshire Boulevard. Oh, my God. A very main, yeah, it's just a main street in Los Angeles. So many things are off Wilshire Boulevard. My sister lived off Wilshire Boulevard, you know, and I I worked at a place off Wilshire. I mean, it's just such a main street in Los Angeles. I believe it's uh, if you're driving from downtown back towards Beverly Hills, you would, that would be a scene. That picture is, I believe, Wilshire Boulevard with all of the uh, streetlights, I think, turning green. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah. Is that where the Beverly Wilshire Hotel is? Is that near there or is that just the name of it? Uh, Beverly Wilshire, yeah, further in towards Beverly Hills. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure that's off of um, off of Wilshire, yeah. Hmm. Okie dokie. Okay, so the director of this episode was Peter Werner and he actually did nine episodes of Moonlighting. He did Camille, Twas the Episode Before Christmas. He did Portrait of Maddie. Knowing Her, The Dream Sequence Always Rings Twice, Brother Can You Spare a Blonde, The Murders in the Mail, The Next Murder You Hear, and this one. So 
Wow. All I can say is he's actually directed some of the best episodes. Uh, yeah, no, I know. Definitely. Um, he directed some of the best episodes in the series. I agree. Yeah, he did. He actually has 96 credits as a director and one as an actor. His career began in 1971, uh, mainly TV, movies and documentaries. He did, obviously, Moonlighting from 85 to 86. Uh, he did The Wonder Years. He did an episode of The Wonder Years in 1990. He did a TV movie called Gracie's Choice in 2004. Um, mm-hmm. 2008, he did an episode of Law and Order Criminal Intent, seven episodes of Ghost Whisperer, 17 episodes of Medium. He, in 2014, he did an episode of The Blacklist. I love The Blacklist. And he did five episodes of Blue Bloods from 2012 to 2016. And he did three episodes of Bull in 2016-17. See what I mean? It's it's crossing over. This one's crossing over with Medium and um, Bull. Oh, yeah. And he did episodes in Law and Order Special Victims Unit 2013. And then he did uh, 2019. He's actually won an Oscar. Um, He won an Oscar in 1977 for the best short film, live action. And the name of that was In the Region of Ice. In 1985, he was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Directing in a Drama Series. And that was for the dream sequence Always Rings Twice. Wow. Now, why didn't he win that? That's just outrageous. Anyway. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I'll have to find out who actually won that year. In 1988, he won a Peabody Award for LBJ The Early Years. And he shared that with Randy Quaid, Patti Lapone, and Morgan Brittany. So that's a little bit about Peter Werner. God bless him for doing some great episodes of Moonlighting. Now, we didn't go through Robert Turteris last time. He was a costume designer for Moonlighting. Moonlighting was actually his longest stint of doing anything. He did all 66 episodes. That's what it's telling me. It's amazing. Yeah, and he has 53 credits on IMDb. He was actually the president of the Costume Designers Guild from 92 to 96, Um, but his career began in 1975, mainly TV and TV movies. Now, this is another crossover. 33 episodes of Bosom Buddies Mm. that starred Tom Hanks and Donna Dixon. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) From 80 to 82. Then he did Moonlighting and then he did Sybil in 1995. Um, Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, on her show. I haven't written here how many episodes, though. He did six episodes of JAG, 1995. And mm-hmm. in 1997, he did Batman and Robin, the movie, with um, cool. George Clooney. Um, and yeah. from what I can see, the last thing that he did was in 2003, which was um, one episode of The Handler. Robert Turteris was born in March 1949 and unfortunately passed away in December 2009, um, age 60. So, love to to talk to him. I know. So, in 1986, he was nominated for a primetime Emmy for Moonlighting for the episode The Dream Sequence Always Rings Twice. He won in 1987 for Moonlighting for the episode Atomic Shakespeare. Yay! Ah. Yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. If any episode deserved an Emmy, it was that one, especially for the amazing costume design. Yeah, Um, for costuming, for sure. In 1995, he was nominated for Sybil, uh, and the episode was As the World Turns to Crap. 
So <laughs> he was nominated many other times, but I haven't gone into that. So he's won two. He's, he's won the Emmy for Atomic Shakespeare and he won posthumously in 2010 for the Costume Designers Guild Awards. Now, Jerry Finneman, our lovely cinematographer. Oh, yeah. He's great. Um, yeah. He was born in December 31 and unfortunately passed away in April 2011. Mm, um, I know. At age 79. Really, yeah. Really, really so, bummed about that. I know. He would have been, it would have been great to talk to Jerry. Oh, yeah. Um, I think he, he was just, uh, he added so much to moonlighting. He sure did. Can't do without a cinematographer, put it that way. Yeah, that lighting. Yeah. Yeah. So Beautiful. just quickly, he did three episodes of Mission Impossible in 1967. He did 60 episodes of Star Trek, the original Star Trek, um, wow. from 66 to 68. He did 22 episodes of Kojak. This is way before your time, Shauna, but don't worry about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, one episode of Quincy ME, um, six episodes of Fantasy Island. I used to watch that. And from my records, I could be wrong, but he's done 55 episodes out of the 66 of Moonlighting. Okay. Five out of the 66. Yeah, and the last thing I can see that he did was in 1995, New York Days, which was a TV series. So I wonder if he wasn't working on the show in the end. Yeah. I never never thought about that. He he, um, actually directed a couple episodes as well. Okay. Yep. Well, I looked into it, and these are the episodes that Jerry Finneman did not do. He didn't do the pilot. He didn't do Gunfight, The Sun Also Rises, Poltergeist 3, DePesto Nothing, Sam and Dave, um, I Am Curious Maddie, To Heiress Human, Perfect. Well, you know, perfect, the the word that perfect spelt backwards. In and Outlaws. He didn't do that either. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. He was nominated twice for an ASC award, which is the American Society of Cinematographers USA, um, 1988 for Moonlighting uh, Blonde on Blonde and 1989 Mm -hmm. for Moonlighting He is Living with You, Kid. Okay. Yeah. So he won an Emmy in 1978, but that was for Ziegfeld, The Man and His Women. Um, And then in 1986, he was nominated for an Emmy. Okay for Moonlighting, The Dream Sequence Always Rings Twice, and in 1988 for Moonlighting, He Is Living With You, Kid. Our guest stars, the first one is Tim Robbins, who plays Fremer, and he's well known for his movie Shawshank Redemption. Do you know, Shauna, do you know how tall he is? Uh, Is he like 6'5 or something like that? Oh, my God. He's 6'5". Six foot five. I do know that because you know what? He is my other celebrity crush besides Bruce Willis. Oh my and I love God. a tall man. Yeah. Yeah. So that's... he goes way back. He starts a little bit before Moonlighting in 1982. He was in St. Elsewhere. He was in Santa Barbara. He was in The Love Boat. Oh, there's another crossover, The Love Boat song. He was in Hill Street Blues. He was in Top Gun. Oh, yeah. Cadillac Man, The Player, Shawshank Redemption. Oh, he was in um, Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me. He was in The Simpsons, Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy. Yeah. War of the Worlds. He's been so many things. Oh, yeah. And he's directed as well. I think he, well, he was, I think, at least nominated for directing um, his then partner, Susan Sarandon. Yep. In. um, Paul Durham. 
Not in Bull Durham. No, th- that's where they met. They met in oh, Bull Durham. Met. Okay. And then the movie about uh, the nun who helped the prisoners. I, there's always, we always get, come to a point where I can't remember. <laughs> I've got it, I've got it in my me. paperwork here somewhere. <laughs> yeah, he, he directed um, Susan Sarandon in um, Dead Man Walking. There we go. I remembered oh, Dead it. Man, Dead Man Walking. Yes, of and I think course. she won an Oscar for that. Yes. Yes, he's, he's one of my favorites. So I love to see him in a Moonlighting episode. He had such a baby face, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. As Bruce Willis says, everybody was in Moonlighting. I've got a little bit of trivia on him too. At six foot five, he's the tallest actor ever to have won an Oscar. The tallest actor ever nominated was James Cromwell at six foot seven. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Funny. That's some, yeah. that's some random trivia. Yeah. Apparently he discovered Jack Black, having given him his first oh, yeah. role in Bob Roberts' 1992. The two remain good friends today. Great movie. I've watched that movie many times. Love it. That is, um, who's the director on Bob Roberts? Oh, gosh. Um, great director. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I've never uh, heard of that movie, to be honest. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Well, you've seen, I'm sure, other movies that um, the director has done, but now... His trademark, while you're thinking of that, his trademark is his soft, mellow voice, his towering height and slender frame. Films often reflect his liberal political views, understated but emotional performances, and he has a slow-mannered delivery. Yeah, he does. I loved him in reality. High Fidelity, sorry. High Fidelity, I loved him in that. And, And guess who directed Bob Roberts? Tim Robbins. <laughs> oh, he did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to think of another director, but then uh, I realized it was actually him. <laughs> it was actually him. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a great movie, I will say. Now we've got Pat Corley, who is Franklin Tate slash Farley Rye. He was born in 1930, and unfortunately he passed away in 2006 of congestive heart failure. He served in the U.S. Army in the Korean War. He was in Murphy Brown as Phil in 1988. He was in Mr. Destiny as Harry Burrows in 1990. And he was in Kiss My Grits in 1982. He actually got his start in the theatre and acted on and off Broadway plays. According to his son, the chief coroner Wally Nydorf on Hill Street Blues in 1981 was Corley's favourite role. And listen to this, it even garnered him praise from Laurence Olivier, who personally phoned Corley to tell him that, and quote, that's the finest television acting I have ever witnessed. Oh, wow. Isn't that lovely for him to ring him? Yeah, that's great. He was in Kojak in 74. He was in Starsky and Hutch, the TV show. He was in Family in 1979. He was in The Waltons. There's another crossover. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Barnaby yep. Jones, he was in Heart to Heart. And yep, that's crossover. That's, yeah, that's a little boiler yes. alert. He was in St. Elsewhere, Moonlighting, Hill Street Blues. He was in Magnum PI in 1986, Falcon Crest in 86, LA Law in 87, and he was in Simon and Simon. He played three different characters there. And he was Mr. Franklin on Mr. Belvedere in 1988. Oh, so that's I, Pat Corley. Gary Graham. This is Michael Rye, our little assassin. Yes. 
he has actually got quite a few credits on IMDb. He's got 104 credits, but obviously I'm not going to go through them all. He was in Starsky and Hutch in 1977. He was in, in that TV show. He was in Knott's Landing. <laughs> They're all crossing yeah. over. Oh, yeah. Um, he was in Chips. He was in Dukes of Hazard. Uh, TJ Hooker, Remington Steel, Moonlighting, Alien Nation, and all. there's a lot of others here I've never heard of, but Star Trek Voyager. Diagnosis Murder, Ali McBeal, Walker, Texas Ranger, Star Trek Enterprise. Oh, he was in Nip Tuck too. And he's actually in pre-production at the moment by the looks of it for The Sons of Kirk. So he's been around a long time and still a working yeah, actor. Yeah, so he's, he's been around a long time and has done quite a few things. Right. Tony Burton, the bartender, he was born in March 1937 and unfortunately passed away in February 2016 from complications of pneumonia. The interesting thing about Tony Burton is that he was actually famous for playing the corner man in six Rocky movies. Uh, you know what? Um, I was just going to say was in Rocky. Yes, yeah. I definitely recognized him yeah. for sure. Yes. Yeah. So because he himself in real life, he was a professional heavyweight boxer. Um, boxing in such avenues as Palm Springs, Los Angeles, and Hollywood, California. The six Mm. feet, 200 pound Burton knocked out, among others, Bob Smith and Denny Chaney. Now, this is what I found a little bit of trivia about Tony Burton. Um, You know how he was in a nefarious bar? Yes. Well, listen to this. Before he became an actor, he had once served three years in prison for armed robbery. Oh, wow. He became interested in acting while in prison and pursued that career after he got out. That's terrific. Ah, Good for him. Mm. And he was inducted into the Greater Flint Afro-American Hall of Fame in 1993. Yeah, so he was in Kojak as well. He was in The Invisible Man. Um, He was in The Shining. There's another crossover. The Rockford Files, The Six Million Dollar Man in 1977. Uh, He was Apollo's trainer in Rocky in '76. Moonlighting, The A-Team, TJ Hooker, Quincy M.E., Chips, NYPD Blue, Rocky Five. So, yeah, he's actually got 94 actor credits. He yeah. did very well considering <laughs> he was in yeah. jail for three years. But and one more bit of trivia on him. He actually played chess on the set of The Shining with Stanley Kubrick. Yes, very cool. Yeah. Well, there were a lot of long working actors. All these guys were in the business for a long time. Yeah, which is great to hear and just shows the quality of um, acting that Moonlighting got on their show. Now, John Sinclair, he's our um, maitre d'. I couldn't find a lot on him, but in 84, he was in Days of Our Lives. 85, he was in Moonlighting. He he had a a funny role. Yeah, but you know what? I thought his role was very, he was only on screen for probably a minute or so, but he really made an impression, didn't he, in the restaurant? Yeah, he did. I, yes, I definitely recognized him and remembered him. You're right. Yeah. He did. He's well known for the 1985 film John and Yoko, A Love Story. He played George Martin. Okay. And also 1986, he was in Half Moon Street. He played the French businessman. And that's a movie that starred Michael Caine and Sigourney Weaver. Now, Michael Petrini, I'm not sure how to say his name, but I'm just going to call him Michael Petrini. He wrote this episode. And he only wrote this episode. Okay. And I'm sure Glenn wrote a lot of it as well. Yeah. Yeah. In 1983, he wrote two episodes of Knott's Landing. 
1985, he wrote one episode of Moonlighting. And in 1986, he wrote one episode of Matlock. He's had quite a few after that, but there wasn't much I could see after 1998. So I don't know if he's writing anymore. Yeah. So. Yes. Let's get into Gunfight at the So-So Corral. Yes. Let's get into this first real quote-unquote moonlighting episode. The typical uh, moonlighting formula, I guess you would say. And, and, I, it, okay. and I think this is where everybody starts from when they want to go back to the box set. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know how many people, I mean, if you were like really, really wanting to start from scratch, you'd go for the pilot. But yes, this is like just episode one. And um, oh, one thing I realized before we start, the pilot that we just finished talking about aired on March 3rd, 1985 and Gunfight aired on March 5th, 1985. So just two days later. So it was kind of a one-two punch with the moonlighting, right? So you could watch your Sunday night movie and then it's like, and new episode on Tuesday. Ah, yes. I did notice that. I did notice yeah. that actually only today when I'm looking at the episodes and the dates, I thought, hang on a minute. That's only two days later. How did they do that? <laughs> yeah, that's what, it, yeah, exactly. I, you know, I sent you a picture earlier and it, um, it's on the internet, um, but it's just the cast and crew of this episode. They, they must've taken a group picture. Um, I zoomed in, of course, and on the um, slate, I guess that they would use, you know, before um, each taping, you know how they say like marker, um, the slate had um, January 25th, 1985 on it. So that was the date when they were filming. So that was January, then it aired in March. So I bet they taped the pilot and then they just went ahead and started taping the, the subsequent episodes. Yep. Yeah. So they had a few in their pocket. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. They had a few in the can and yeah, I'm sure they wanted to get people hooked as soon as possible. They sure did. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. We, we wish we had that every week with Moonlighting. Yeah. Mm. Let's, let's have two episodes of Moonlighting a week instead of like <laughs> one every couple of weeks. <laughs> you really want to kill Bruce and Sybil, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Bruce and Sybil. I know they had to work hard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. I want them well rested so we could have as many as possible. That's right. But yeah, anyway. Um, it starts with the case. It starts with the bus coming down the street. Yes. And one thing I always notice with a lot of shows, they love to water down the street first. Yeah, right. Maybe it makes it look more mysterious. Yeah, or... I think it's the lighting and the, you know, on the water. I know yeah. when I watch CSI Miami, because I'm yeah. a mad CSI Miami fan, it's so obvious they've watered down the steps, they watered down the roads, everything's wet. <laughs> Mm, how funny. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. 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 It must be uh, better. Yeah. That's a good observation. And I noticed that the bus said special on it <laughs> yeah, <laughs> instead of yeah. kind of a bus, you know, 302, you know, Wilshire yeah. Boulevard or something like that. So that was kind of funny. I was also laughing because the bus just stopped right in front of the place he needed to go. <laughs> oh, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, how convenient. I didn't, yeah, maybe there was a bus stop there, you know, who knows? But yeah, that, I thought that was so pretty it's, funny, but you know what? Saves time. Yeah, it does save time, but he's obviously parked right in front of the hospital. That's hilarious. Yeah, right. And he just, he's just ready. He gets off, he knows right where he's going, he goes in. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that was all funny. They were just getting straight to it, you know? 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you recognize the building? No, I didn't recognize Nothing that building. Famous. No. no, it was kind mm-hmm. of a narrow shot, you know, of the door, kind of like from the street to the door. Yeah, there wasn't yeah. much. And it was dark and not, not yeah. one that I noticed or one that I recognized. But yeah, so then he's going to find who? He's going to find Franklin Tate. Yes. And we don't right. know why yet. Right. We don't know why. He's got um, flowers in his hand, doesn't he? Didn't he bring in like uh, some flowers or a plant yep. for like he's going to visit somebody? Yes. So he walks into the hospital, walks straight into his room and you don't see anybody, but it looks like he's going through a back way or something. I don't know. I just want to know where all the people are in the hospital. Yeah, I know. Um, everyone's <laughs> asleep in there. <laughs> not guarding people very well. Not, no. not very aware of what's happening, but yeah, it's probably middle of the night. You know, they figure who would be doing anything nefarious. At the hospital. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, he goes in and he, yeah, finds the man, this man he's looking for in the hospital room. And then uh, he, he starts talking to him. Yeah, the music was very mysterious. And then the lighting was very shadowy. And yeah, I was trying to notice all these things, you know. And then he pulls a gun out of the plant. Yeah. And Tim Robbins is kind of talking to him in like a threatening sort of way, right? Yeah, and this is what I noticed a lot about this episode is that all the bad guys, except for Farley Rye, have, you know, the lighting, the dark on one side and light on the other, just to show that there's something sinister here or this person is of ill repute. Yeah, right. Um, So you've got that bad lighting on Tim Robbins and you had it the same mm -hmm. on Michael Rye when you see him. Yeah, it's kind of a shadowy, I know what you mean, you know, yeah, half Mm. the face dark. Yes, very shadowy. All right. And this was not Jerry Finnerman. So um, he wasn't uh, responsible for that yet. Tim Robbins, um, I guess he's there because this Farley Wright character, not that we know it yet, but we soon find out he is like the best hit man in the world. And so does Tim Robbins, is he the character, is he looking for some kind of notoriety? He wants to kill, the, you know, be known for killing the best hitman in the world. Is that why he's there? Yes. You find that out later when Michael okay. Wright's talking to them in the in the basement. Yeah, we'll get to that because he he explains that all the top guys around the country are trying to kill him so that they become the best instead of him. They'll replace Farley Rye as being the best. So um, that's why they're all trying to kill him. And this young kid thought he'd just go and kill him in the hospital. So just go straight in. Now, I don't know about you, Grace, but I have to really pay attention to these plot lines because Mm. I can't say that I always finish a Moonlighting episode and know exactly what the plot was all about. I'm so glad you said that because 
now that I've started watching it with you, I'm really concentrating on the plot. Now I understand why things have happened. Yeah. Um, right. Whereas in the past, you're not really listening. You're just watching them talk and, you know, you're watching their banter and how fast they're talking. And in a way, you're not paying too much attention to the plot. But I think that it's all about them. It's not about the plot. We're trying to, yeah. you know, the whole thing. I think Glenn was just trying to create this dynamic between them that, you know what, you don't care about these other people. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about them. Yeah. I know. And he he did know that. And not that he was aware of it here in the first episode, but especially as it went on, he, he knew people weren't uh, tuning in to see the mystery and how it worked out. You know, it was all about Maddie and David. And yeah, we're not tuning in to see how this um, plot works out. Um, and in fact, um, sometimes I think the plots got a little bit convoluted, you know, and I think you really did have to follow the plot to see like the little twist in there. You know, there's the twist later and most Moonlighting fans, it's about Maddie and David, not the mystery. So I'm kind of watching it with new eyes where I'm like, what is this plot about? <laughs> what <laughs> was going on with these hit men? <laughs> You know, because I never really understood it. Yeah. <laughs> After funny. I've watched it three times this week, I, um, I've um i worked out the moral of the story, whereas before yeah. I never actually took note of it. Yeah, I agree. I think I understand. Yeah, got it. I think I got it down this time. But um, yeah, <laughs> it, it is funny. Um, some some of the mysteries were just a little bit, yeah, they get a little bit convoluted, but um, yeah. yeah, that's still fun. You know, Maddie and David are detectives, right? So we need a case. We need a case and we need guest stars to have a case. Yeah. So hmm. yeah, this whole scene kind of plays out um, in a kind of funny way, I thought, because was I buying that Tim Robbins couldn't overpower this old guy at any moment? Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what I wrote down. I'm thinking there is no way Tim Robbins, a six foot five yeah. guy, is unconscious right. after Farley Rye hits him on the neck. Are you are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> on the neck, right. On the neck. Yes. He actually, with the gun, he's got the gun in his hand and he could have pistol whipped him, but no, yeah. he hits him with his hand. Now, I don't know whether yeah. that was too violent for the time or whether they weren't allowed to do that, but I just thought that was hilarious because this guy's six foot five. So I don't even yeah. know. And I might have even written down how tall Pat Cawley was. But, yeah, I just thought, no. And then he puts him down the, the laundry chute. That was really funny. Yes, uh I know the man is supposed to be the best um, hitman in the world, and I'm sure he has tricks up his sleeve and all that stuff. But Tim Robbins was young and quick. And even when he was holding the gun on him, he could have swiped his hand away and jumped on him or something, you know, like <laughs> we, we will uh, set all, all of that aside. One thing I did notice is that when he was chasing him to that little towel room, Farley Rye was chasing Tim Robbins when he was trying to get away. The time yeah. on the clock was a quarter past five. Yeah. When he's running yeah. back after he's thrown him down the chute, it's 5.35. Quarter past five and then 5.35. Okay, so 20 minutes later, right? Yeah, so I wouldn't have thought so that would funny. have taken 20 minutes. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Maybe about five. Mm. <laughs> That's funny. And I also noticed when he was running back down the hall or going back down the hall, suddenly he was kind of tiptoeing or trying to be quiet. It's like, oh, after all of that ruckus that you guys made, you know, the big chase and, you know, <laughs> and all of that. If that wasn't drawing attention, then you just going back to your room wasn't going to draw any attention, you know? Yeah. Now you want to be quiet. Yeah, exactly. Now you're going to be quiet um, after just this huge, almost killing each other chase thing. So now we yeah. get to cold open. There's your opening scenes. It's Maddie's first day. 
And the music. So we have the clock radio going off at 7am and we have Tutti Frutti by Little Richard. I know. Yeah, that was such a like upbeat, um, not Maddie-like song. That's more no. of a David song, I think. Yeah, I definitely. Think. <laughs> yep. But And she wakes up and I think, you know, when we see bloopers later, that's a, a scene that she filmed a few times and we could see that in the bloopers. I recognized yeah, so. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of fun. So yeah, Maddie wakes up and like, when's the last time Maddie woke up at 7am? We don't know. As a model, I'm not sure if she lived that kind of life. And then she's uh, in her car and she's in traffic and it's just like your normal commute. Yeah, I think it would have been her first experience driving herself to a job in that peak hour traffic. Yeah, definitely. Bumper to bumper. That sounds like a main freeway in LA. The sign says Ventura Boulevard, Ventura Freeway, Burbank Boulevard. Okay, Um, Burbank. I'm not sure exactly. I don't want to say hardcore Angelinos will know 405 or something like that. I'm not sure what freeway it is. And her car is clearly not on that road. Like they show a a shot of all these cars on the road, but she's not there. (laughs) Okay. Right. Is it the, uh, the old backdrop kind of thing that they did make it look like the cars in traffic? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Poor man's process or something they call it. (laughs) So yeah, she's very like um, excited and she's like nervous and she doesn't want to be late. I mean, I guess she's really trying to impress David. And she's all excited when she gets there and she's rushing to the door she gets there and she's let down a little bit because nobody's excited, nobody's working, and they're all playing cards. Yeah, they were playing cards. They were knitting. DePesto's reading her fantasy novel, which was Brave the Wild Wind. Yes. I looked at the title. Did you see yes. it? Yeah, by <laughs> Joanna Lindsay. And it's okay. a very, yes, it's very apropos, actually, the book, because I've got it here. It's actually set in the untamed Wyoming territory of 1876. This okay. romance features Jessie Blair, a fiery young beauty who is swept into a passionate conflict with Chase Ooh. Summers, an arrogant Westerner who has vowed oh my gosh. never to love. Ah, an arrogant Westerner. I love it. Yeah. So I thought that was an interesting choice of book for her to read, considering yeah. what's going on around her in the episode. So, oh my gosh, good job, Grace. I love it. Love that tidbit. <laughs> Amazing. I, I love it when I'm even learning things about the, about the show as we're doing this podcast. That's great. I think we're both going to be learning as we're doing a bit of research in each episode. We're going to be learning a lot of things as yeah. we go along. I'm really happy about that. Yeah, I know, doing a deep dive. Oh, yes, the pesto shows Maddie around. and um, But before that, yeah, I just wanted to say there's a scene when she walks in and you see Agnes with the book. Then all of a sudden the camera is on the side yeah. of Maddie and Agnes. That shot is not often yeah. filmed from that angle. Okay. So, um, yeah, they're showing DePesto kind of from, if you walk into Blue Moon from the left, the camera's kind of set to the left and they're showing Maddie and Agnes from like side profile. Yes, So Mm. Maddie walks in and Agnes is talking to her, but they're showing them from the side there. And and I don't think that's a very common spot for the camera to be in Moonlighting in future. Yes, I think you're right. I didn't notice it, but good observation. I will check it out next time. And the other thing is, while they're filming that shot, this guy is in the background asleep. (laughs) The workers are very... (laughs) <laughs> lazy they have nothing to do grace i mean and david doesn't care and they want uh, no work and pay right so that's why they're there 
uh, one thing I forgot to mention before that, when Maddie's coming into the office building, you know, we so often um, see her legs coming out of the elevator, but there was a shot of her legs going into the elevator. And that's exactly what I wrote down too. But still, you know, I'm always looking for those staples of the show. And um, that's one of them. Good to see right from the very beginning, right? And she loves her office by the looks of it. Yeah, her office is great. And the pesto gives her the rundown, uh, shows her the ropes, I guess you'd say, of Blue Moon about what there's a shoe shine guy that comes along and <laughs> someone will do your <laughs> someone uh, will do your hair right in the office, snacks, and there's a gym that they all take a class at. So but when do we work? <laughs> exactly, but when do we work? And she says, what? excuse me, what? <laughs> excuse, uh, excuse me, what? Yeah, work. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know why she was expecting, you know, <laughs> it to be busy, 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 but um, she was. Yeah. The first time I've noticed something in that scene, when Agnes is explaining to her about the lady that comes in once a week to do her hair, what I noticed was the camera actually moves because Agnes is following Maddie across the room. So Maddie goes mm-hmm. behind the desk over to that plant in the corner. So yeah. Agnes is talking to her and as she's talking to her, she follows Maddie across the room. Now, right. because she's following Maddie, the camera moves right to the yeah. side and you can see a reflection in the metal around the doorway. And if you watch yeah. it again, yeah. don't watch Agnes talking, just look at the reflection and you can see the movement of something. You can't tell what it is, but it's something yeah. moving. Something from production. That's correct. All right. Good eye. Good eye. I will. I did not spot that. I will be looking next time as well. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, you know, Maddie's getting a a little bit upset. She wants to uh, know where Mr. Addison is. And guess what he's doing? (laughs) A whole lot of nothing. (laughs) So he's he's there watching Family Feud. And one thing I want to know is, would Family Feud have been on in the morning at nine o'clock? Mm, unless it was probably, a rerun yeah unless it was a rerun um no i think that was more of a night show but yeah i know true yeah so i don't know yeah what, what does that mean for the episode family feud is there some kind of a symbol yeah, symbolization there yeah maybe. you know fighting mm. um, i know it was also you know the case had a little bit to do with i want you to find my father mm. and oh I'm just like figuring this out <laughs> right as we're talking. Um, you know what? That's this is honestly what I love about Moonlighting and Glenn. You know, Glenn, I think, likes layers and like, yeah, family feud, right? That's all about the plot. The plot is, you know, he wants to find his father and they're both hitmen. And then Maddie and David, maybe this new family kind of unit that's forming and they're they're always fighting. So I think there's something to it. Yeah, there's definitely a link there. Yeah, we're definitely <laughs> peeling off some layers for sure. Yeah, I think everything means something. I don't yeah. think, uh, there, I think there's very few things in, in the show that they would just, they just pluck out of thin air. Yeah, so there's got to be a reason why it's there. And also the globe that was in David's office is now in Maddie's office, that see-through one that we were talking about from the pilot. From the pilot, right. Okay, so um, as they've decorated Maddie's office, he's yeah moved that in there. Okay, good and eye. He's, yeah, and he's got a different one now. Okay. Mm. Does he have a black one? No, it's just a normal, it's not see-through. Yeah, it's a normal globe. Oh, my God, how hilarious is it when he goes, oh, I've got to tell you something. And he starts telling her about the bus station and (laughs) he's got a great idea. I know. (laughs) Yeah. And it's so set in that time, isn't it? Because um, I 
just so remember TV back in, back in these days. And, you know, my sister and I used to watch Love Boat and like Fantasy Island that was mentioned earlier. And we talked about like Dynasty and Nuts Landing and, and that all of those. Yeah, very much those genre of shows. Right. It's kind of um, like an homage, I guess. Or, yeah, just kind of saying like these are the type of shows that are out there right now, but we're not really that. Or, yeah, what are they saying with with him kind of, you know, joking about um, bus stop? Yeah, I don't know, but he's got a great idea for a show and he's going to get McLean Stevenson. Well, we, mm, yeah. we don't call him McLean. We call him McLean Stevenson. But anyway, but when he okay. said McLean Stevenson, I'm thinking John McLean. So I thought. I know, oh, me too. Me too. Yeah. Of course. Yes, and so funny. Um, we'll have Charo, who's a, yes. a Spanish-American flamenco guitarist. Charo was always on Love Boat. So that's definitely a reference to Love Boat and those Aaron Spelling shows of the time. Definitely. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, because I used to love the love boat, but I don't remember who was on it and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, but he's saying a little old lady that's going to visit her aunt in Scranton. And mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's <was> just, <laughs> I just love when he sings it. It was just great. Oh, yeah, it's great. It's, it's funny. Now, when David first greets Maddie, he says something about, did you like your office? He says mauve, okay, and I think we, I say mauve myself, but I don't know if that's just his pronunciation or whatever mm-hmm. about you know the colors they chose for the office. But then, did you catch? He said, "Did you see in your executive bathroom? Yes. I put a shower yes. massager. You don't yes. have to thank me now." It's yes. like, oh my god, David. I mean, that's to me is even like wow now, you know, yes. in a way. I think that's like a thing that they really like slipped past censors back in the day. Because things moved fast, they were able to slip a lot of things past censors, but it's like, wow, <laughs> David. Yeah, I don't think they've even would have noticed that because to be honest with you, I only noticed that probably six months ago when I actually sat down and watched the whole thing. Yeah. I thought to myself, I'm going to sit down here and just listen to exactly every word they say. And that's yeah. when I picked that up. I'm like, what did he just say to her? <laughs> I know. I was like, damn, you don't have to thank me now. It's like, wow, David. That, I, think, I think that in a way is like one of the more risque dialogue that they had. <laughs> Am I reading too much into it? I don't think so. But yeah, anyway, as he's talking to her, she's getting more and more pissed off. It's getting worse by the minute. Mm-hmm. And this is my favorite line in this episode. The phones don't ring. Is that all? <laughs> it's just a small service problem. I'm having it looked into. What else? There's no one in the waiting room. No one is waiting to see us. You know, it's a vicious cycle. The damn elevators are under fritz. Can't get anybody up here to fix the phone because the elevators aren't working. And you can't call anybody to fix the elevators because the phones aren't working. Oh, yeah. Yes. His BS, his BS lines and excuses, you know. I, yeah, I know. He's got, he's got to come back for everything. But that's why she gets so infuriated. And that's the first time I clicked when I was watching it many moons ago that they're on the 20th floor. The suite number is 2016, but I didn't click that that was number 16 Mm. as in the 20th floor. Right. So now he's running away because he's got to get that client from the rival agency. And we are now on location, by the looks of it, at the Century City North Plaza. Yeah, those buildings still exist. I actually did not go and visit those. But can I add one thing before we move on to that? Yeah, of course. The banter between the two of them in the office, 
yes. um, before he, before he runs out. Yeah. Um, there, there's a few repeating things. I'm trying to look at how early some of these things started. And it's just so funny to me how like, this is already classic moonlighting, you know, episode, but you know, first real prime time episode with him grabbing her arm and spinning her around as she's walking away, him chasing and the Maddie, 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 you know how they do the Maddie, Maddie, Maddie and uh, David, David, David. Yeah. There's already so much of that from the first scene, which is so amazing, you know, as a you know longtime fan, it's just so great to see how early that started. All of those things that ran through the entire series with Maddie, 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 they do that <laughs> a lot. That's a running thing. So that started from that very first scene, him grabbing her arm. I think that happens a couple of times in those first scenes, coaxing her to stay. Just wanted to um, point out some of those staples of the show that started very early. Then, as, as you said, he, he uh, is running, he has to run next door and find a client because she's very upset about not having any work. And one thing I noticed was when he runs across the road, um, nearly yeah. gets run over, he runs into the building and as he runs in, he does a spin. Uh-huh. Have you noticed that? <laughs> yeah, that, that's funny. Even though the glass is tinted, you can actually see him run in, spin around and run off. It's hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Playful David. You know, he's always kind of a guy that he knows he's backed into a corner, but he knows he's going to figure it all out. He always does. He always finds a way. Exactly. He's determined. That's what he's always trying to get Maddie to see. He flirts with the secretary and it's typical Addison and he gets um, Farley Rye to go with him. Yeah. So one thing I noticed when he walks in, it's very nice, open plan, very modern for the time. And as he walks yeah. in, you can actually hear Farley Rye coughing, but there's two men standing in front of him. Mm-hmm. The- and then, yeah, he, he introduces himself as Rex Tough. Rex yeah, Tough. It's hilarious. That's, said. That's funny. So he has a little bit of a. Uh, kind of like a little flirtation. A yeah. Little, so he starts flirting with her, with her and, you yeah. know, gets her on his side and, you know, uh-huh. I'd like to see you again. And she, she nods and. <laughs> I know. You do that great. Yeah, God, beauty and brains—a <laughs> deadly combination. <laughs> oh my God! But her look is so dated, isn't it? Yes, she looks very, gosh, almost early eighties. <laughs> you know, the first few episodes, the pilot in the first few episodes, I, I feel are a bit dated looking. Robert Turner is, surely didn't do her costume. No, I don't think so. No, but then uh, he brings Farley Rye. You know, he kind of like. I guess, tricks him, manipulates him or something to like go with him. That's and right. So he said he's the assistant of the gentleman he had the appointment with um, oh, right. so coming to my office, but then takes him to the lift. And of course, Farley is on him straight away. He knows where is your office. So <laughs> yeah. he, he, know, he already knows something's up. Yeah. But he's kind of a con man too. So, you know, um, and David's a likable character. So he probably is willing to go along with it, I guess. One thing I noticed also in the elevator, David goes to shake his hand and Farley Rye does not shake his (laughs) hand back, which is also something that happens quite a bit in the show. In many episodes, David sticks his hand out or Maddie sticks her hand out and the person does not shake back. Yes, that happens a lot. I just want to go back a tad. When he puts Maddie back in her office to say, um, yeah, I've got an appointment in 20 minutes. I've got a client in 20 minutes. Da, da, da. He yeah. puts her back in the office and then he runs out and says to Agnes, Agnes, take my messages. And she says, messages? Messages? Yeah. 
What are you talking <laughs> are about? No, we don't get messages here. Yeah, there, there are no messages. Yeah, I know. It's so cute. Yeah, Agnes is just perfect. Yes, and I like how you say he puts Maddie in her office. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely like took her by the arm. You know, he does that. Yes. Yeah, he either does yeah. that or he puts his arm around her waist and walks yes. her to walks where he her. wants her to be. Yep, absolutely. That's David. More of that to come, but yeah, the way he kind of manhandles her and talks her into things, I think it leads to a lot of her anxiety later. So Mr. Rye comes into the office. She's so happy to see him and wants to know how he found out about the Blue Moon Detective Agency. And he kind of covers for David. Yes, and I really like the way David is looking at her, then looks at him and looks at her because yeah. he's he's like... He's so proud of himself of what he's just achieved. And he's looking at him like, I've just pulled one over on the both of you. Um, yeah. I just like the way he's looking at them. Yeah. And he also does want it to work. And he does yes. want to make Maddie happy. And, um, and Farley Rye's telling the story about how he wants to find his son. And you can just see the emotion on Maddie's face. She loves the story. She really yeah. wants to help him. And yeah. she gets all emotional about how he's saying, I really want to see my son. And I don't think he says yeah. he's dying yet. I don't think you find that out till later. Right. They're in the restaurant. But the, the way he says it, that he wants to find his son, he hasn't seen him for so long. I just like her reaction there. Yes. And Farley likes her. And it, again, it shows what an asset she is to the company. And, you know, that's all a part of David's plan. It's like, he's a detective. She has the beauty, the fame, you know, and it all works together. It's a great little package. Yes. Yes. Very great scene because they have their first case and then <laughs> um, yeah, he leaves and, and then she's so happy, you know, Maddie is quite happy in this episode. And I don't feel like Maddie is a very happy person, you know, most of the time throughout the series. I don't know if you'd agree with me. I would um, definitely agree with you. So, yeah, but I just feel like she's like so happy and they have this big hug, which is really cute. We have our first case, you know, like, I don't know. I think she just feels like, oh, this really might all work out. And David does kind of pull, you know, everything off like at the last minute. And yeah, some flirtation there. Um, Sybil's very good at using her eyes to flirt, you know, the whole looking down, looking, blinking, looking back up. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> she she that's does right. that a lot as well, you know, yeah. when flirting. I don't know if it's an actor's technique or her or what, but yeah, they just have a little moment there, a flirtation. And yeah, you see those sparks fly, right? That's what people are tuning in for. I think at that stage, we would have been happy just for a hug. I know. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, we were just kind of like getting into the characters, but um, most often talked about thing about the show is the on-screen chemistry well, there it is. Yes. You know, it bounces off the walls. All they've got to do is be in the same room. Yeah, I know. Exactly. And that's why we always want to get back to like Maddie and David, you know. Mm. But the cool thing is after the pilot, now we're always with them for the most part, besides like the opening where they, you know, set up the case. We're with Maddie and David the rest of the episode pretty much, right? And he finally says something, Shauna. We have a case. We have a real case. Hey. Do bears bear? Do bees bee? Yes, that is the probably most classic David Addison line right there, right? Do bears bear? Do bees bee? If anyone knows David Addison, they know that line. And also, I anytime I hear the word nefarious, I think of this episode. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he looked it up in the dictionary. 
I actually looked it up too, and my dictionary says extremely yeah. wicked or villainous iniquitous. Oh, hmm. okay. What does David say? Um, an unspeakably... Unspeakably wicked. Yeah, then um, we move on to um, a two-shot in the BMW, which is, as we all know, another staple of moonlighting, you know, Maddie and David driving in the car, talking. But they're not wearing their seatbelts. Oh, you know what? I think they got letters about that, that they didn't wear their seatbelts. In later episodes, they ended up, they had them wear seatbelts. Oh. Yeah. I think that was actually a thing at the time that they got letters. I, I remember Glenn saying that at some point that they got letters that they didn't wear their seatbelts. And um, so, yeah, they did later. But that, yeah, I didn't notice that. That's a good observation. So what's the seatbelt law in the States? Is it different for each state or is it a, a national thing? Gosh, I, I'm not sure, but... um. Because in I, Australia, I it's all over the yeah. place. You must wear your yeah. seatbelt. You just can't. I, Unless your vehicle is dated prior to something like, mm. I think, 1955. Okay. Um, you don't yeah. have to. But yeah. anything newer than that, you have to wear your seatbelt. So. But seatbelt laws were just kind of coming in at that time. Because I remember up until a certain point growing up, we didn't wear seatbelts. It was, I think it was somewhere around mid 80s or something, you know. So. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was the first thing they would have thought of when they were riding in the car, especially if they weren't really driving (laughs) because they were on a tow car. But I liked the shot of um, the camera, you know, panning the side of the car and then showing them from the driver's side and showing them at the same time together, which that shot didn't happen a lot either. Yes, they just did them one at a time. So the other one was possibly not there. Yeah, they'd show them one at a time where they show like a two shot like straight in from the window, you know, from the yeah. front of the car. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So the yep. side shot wasn't um, done all that much. I think it does uh-huh. appear other times, but yeah, I like that shot, you know, that you can, you can just see both of them. You can see them talking and yeah, I don't know why they didn't do it more. Yeah. So then talking about the case and I think David really likes it. Maddie's really into the case, right? She's really trying to figure it out. And I, you know, he, he kind of has a smile on his face and yeah, he's happy that she's like happy. You know, I mean, I think a lot of David's ultimate goal is to make Maddie happy. So I think that he's really enjoying her analyzing what's going on with the case at this point. Yeah. And I think he really enjoys being with her. He doesn't show, yeah. he doesn't reflect that, but he's doing all this, I think, just to be around her a lot. Yeah, that's true. So they get to the nefarious location and he puts on the glasses like Neo in the Matrix and tries to make her stay in the car and of course you can't make Maddie stay in the car no not gonna happen not gonna happen at all he's like trying to pull rank and she's the boss and that's why she keeps trying to remind him that you know it's my agency exactly and you know I mean I guess he's trying to keep her safe in a way and stuff and he's trying to act tough and yeah Yeah. all these things are going on right yeah so he drags her into the alley because yes. she's adamant that she wants to help him and don't you want me to meet your friends? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Gunfight at the So-So Corral Part 1. You can now head over to Part 2. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.